0: Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 5 once again, as we continue to work our way through the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if any of you would admit to hanger. All right. Usually confession is not by laughter, but the laughter this morning is, I would say, an admission of guilt. I know when our children were small, there were times we learned that, it's like, what in the world is going on? And, and we kind of learn, just feed them, you know, just feed them. Well, the other thing you learn as a parent is a lot of times your children learn things from you and, and follow after your own traits, right? Well, I quickly learned, I think as we discovered that with the kids, my wife discovered that same truth was real with me. At times I get grumpy, and I think her mentality is just feed him. Right? Just feed him, and he'll be okay. Well, hanger, if you're not familiar with anger, what it is, is it is anger that comes from being hungry. It's the meshing of two words, hunger and anger. Hunger, or anger, right? That we, we get so hungry that, that it's, it just consumes us, it's deep, and, and we just are hungry, and we, we just start getting grumpy and angry. It's deep, it's intense, it's consuming. Well, our Beatitude today leads us to consider hunger as well, but it's our hunger for righteousness that we'll consider. Not our hunger for food, but that leads us to consider, is righteousness something that we hunger for, something we thirst for, something that we long for in our walk with Christ? See, the reality is that hunger and thirst for righteousness should mark, it should characterize the life of the believer. We've talked about that already, that that as Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving a description of the life of the believer. He's not giving steps to how to earn God's favor. He's not giving steps or instructions for how to achieve salvation. He is characterizing what the life of the believer looks like. And in this instance, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's read the Sermon on the Mount up to this point, beginning in chapter 1. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hunger and thirst, when, when we hear that, those are not words that we hear and, and we scratch our heads and go, I, I don't understand that. We, we understand hunger and thirst, don't we? Some, some around our world experience hunger and thirst daily that is never satisfied. It is intense. It is something that they cannot get, they cannot satisfy. They experience intense hunger daily. Others around the world, and I would say most, if not all of us, experience a brief hunger. The hunger that most of us in here today and probably listening online would experience would be that of, of a temporary hunger, because we can satisfy it as we walk to our pantries or go to a restaurant. Regardless of where you fall in that kind of that, that timeline or, or those two ends of the spectrum, hunger and thirst is something that we, we know and we experience and we understand. And what we know about hunger and thirst is that it is something that we cannot satisfy within ourselves. When I'm hungry, I can't just determine and set my mind to, not be hungry anymore, to satisfy my own hunger. I can't do it. Hunger and thirst is only satisfied by an outside source. Physically, we would understand that that comes from food and water. But Jesus is not speaking here of a physical hunger and thirst. He's speaking here of a spiritual hunger and thirst, a hunger for righteousness. So before we get into what that means and what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness, I want us to look at two challenges in our day. Two two challenges that we face in our day that, that I think deters us from truly hungering after and thirsting for righteousness, for God. Here's the first one, is that we often hunger and thirst for what will never satisfy. We hunger and thirst for what will not satisfy. I'll never forget several years ago, we loaded up and we were going to camp, a beach camp, and this is going to be a traumatic memory for some people in here, but we're going to talk about it anyway We loaded up on a bus to go to camp, and I think we were leaving at, I don't know, 5 a.m., I think it was. We were going down to Alabama, and we had a charter bus, and we got on, and the instructions were pretty clear to the youth. You need to pack your own breakfast. We'll eat breakfast on the bus, and we'll stop for lunch. And so, teenagers, breakfast should be easy, right? Easy instructions. Well, one young man decided that breakfast consisted of a pound bag of Skittles on an empty stomach. In a bus. Yeah. It didn't finish. It didn't end well, right? It did not go well. And thanks, I am so thankful for a couple of you sitting in this room who got cleanup duty on that one. It was a bad day, and he thought that Skittles would satisfy. He thought that Skittles would be good, that it would endure, that it would quench his hunger. It didn't satisfy it, it temporarily masked it, and then he felt terrible. Spiritually, our, our struggle is often the same. We, we seek to satisfy our hunger and thirst with things that will never truly satisfy our souls. We, we kind of a, appease ourselves temporarily with these different things and things like experiences. We, we crave the next great experience, don't we? We want that experience. We want the next big game. Some of you are excited about the big football win last night, but after today, that wears off, and you want that experience again next week. We want these big games. We want the next epic movie. We want to go to the next great conference. We want to sit and listen to the next stirring sermon. We want experiences. We thrive on them, but none of them truly satisfy They all wear out. If we're looking for our soul satisfaction in any of those experiences, they will not endure. They may mask that hunger, that thirst for a moment, but they don't endure. Or we hunger and thirst after man's approval. We just just want people to like us. We want people to speak well of us, to pat us on the back to brag about us. We want to have this wonderful platform on social media. We all long, or not all, but a lot of us long for shooting a viral video that everybody's going to look and watch and laugh at and just know who we are. You're the guy from that TikTok. We long for man's approval. I would say a lot of people long for and hunger and thirst after a feeling of safety and security. That we would do whatever we can to achieve this idea that we could never get injured, never get hurt, never get sick. Then we will do anything we can to live a life that is safe and free of risk. We insure everything from our possessions to our pets. You can buy pet insurance. You know this. We want to live bubble-wrapped lives in which there's no risk of injury. We long for safety. But what we find is we can never achieve it. We can never so insulate ourselves and and satisfy our longing for safety that injury never comes upon us. It just does not happen. The second thing we do, the second challenge we meet, is that we let the wrong people or the wrong things determine what is righteous. So, so one, we, we hunger, we appease our hunger, our, our soul's hunger, our soul's thirst with the wrong things. The second thing is that we let the wrong people or the wrong things determine what is right and what is true in our lives. So our standard of rightness or righteousness is misplaced. It is misinformed. You, you understand the, the idea of a plumb line. I, I would think a lot of you, especially adults, understand that a plumb line is something that you drop from a point and it gives you what is truly vertical, where, where the center of something is, a room perhaps. But in essence, we've we've traded a plumb line for a variety of things that, that we seek to determine what is true, what is center. And none of those things answer the question correctly. We've turned to things such as moral relativism, that, that each individual determines, determines what is right. And, and this leads to this individualism that taughts or it touts that no one can speak into the lives of others as to what's right and wrong. So we live in this culture that just applauds this you do you. That it's individualism, moral relativism. You determine what's true. You determine what's true. You determine what's true. So that literally this morning it would be promoted that there is hundreds of people in this place who would determine what is true. Even though those truths may be truths may be opposed to one another. Or we let the moral majority determine what is right and true. That if enough people say something is right, if enough people say something is true, then it's okay. But that's problematic too. What if the majority says something that's absolutely false? It doesn't matter how many people in here believe the world is flat. We know the world's not flat. It doesn't matter how many people in here would say, you know what, the walls are purple. They're not purple, they're tan. Moral majority, or popular philosophy, just popular worldviews, philosophies that we would allow the latest ideas to captivate us, and, and these are typically based on what's trendy, what makes us feel good, or they're based on some type of cultural narrative that tells us this is the way it is and the way it should be, and it doesn't matter if it truly violates what is true. So we've traded a plumb line, we've traded what is truly true for all these other definitions of what is true and right. And by trading those, we have to understand this, is that all of those things are going to fluctuate. None of them are going to hold true. Listen, I know this is a This is a sensitive topic, but one of the easiest ways we see this, we see that that truths that are determined today and are applauded today and promoted today, they fluctuate and they differ and they change is this whole idea of the gender of a person. You realize up until just a few years ago, we lived in a society that was anchored in the truth of God's good design, of how an individual was born, whether it was a boy or a girl, and it was observable through biology based on chromosomes. We understand that. Just a few years ago, well now, this man-centered philosophy has come in in which an individual determines his or her gender, and it defies both God's creation, God's good design, and biological observation. It defies them both. It defies God's truth and science. It's based on what? It's based on feelings. It's based on what you want, on what you desire. Truth that does not maintain in just a few years has completely shifted under our feet. But just because the moral majority or a cultural philosophy promotes that does not make it true. It does not make it true. The problem that we experience is similar to Romans, Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, Paul writes this, verses 1 through 4. He says, He's talking about the Jews, his brothers. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul, Paul's saying, what he's saying here is, is he's saying, listen, I, he's talked in chapter 9 about his, his longing to see his brothers come to faith in Christ. Longing to see them come to the truth that salvation is by faith alone. And he says here, that he, he says, listen, I know that they have a zeal for God. They are spiritual people. We live in a day, in a society that is a very spiritual society. Don't, don't trick yourself into thinking that we do not live in a time where people are spiritual. People are indeed spiritual. But the problem is, is they are not spiritual according to the knowledge of the truth. In, in Paul's day, the, the Jews were seeking, they were ignorant of the righteousness of God. They were seeking to establish their own. To establish their own righteousness that was based according to works of the law. In, in our day, people are trying to establish their own view of what is right and wrong by appealing to, to feelings or pragmatism. All sorts of wrong man-centered philosophies appealing to the majority, appealing to the narrative. We've left the plumb line of God. Listen, when we think about what determines righteousness, this righteousness that we are to seek after, we need to understand that it is God, the one who determines what is righteous, because His very character and His every way is righteous. Psalm 11, 11, verse 7 says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. Psalm 89, 14 says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalm 98, 2 says the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's made righteousness known. He is righteous. He does righteousness. He's revealed it. He's made it known. In Psalm 119, 137, the psalmist writes, Righteous are you, O Lord. Right are your rules. Right are your rules. the problem is we we have things backwards that's the problem so the question comes up why why do we so readily and easily run after things that won't satisfy why are we so quick to allow the wrong things to speak into our lives of what is right and what is true and the answer is essentially we have things backwards we have instead of seeking after righteousness hungering and thirsting after righteousness instead of doing that instead we hunger and thirst after what after happiness So the the Beatitudes says what? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But instead of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we hunger and thirst for happiness, for blessedness. That word in the Greek can be transferred, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All down through the Beatitudes, it's happy, 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 happy. We don't translate it that way because the word happy in our day has been gutted of its meaning. And so we understand blessed is more... Accurate way of conveying what it means is to be blessed, but you see, we live in a day where we seek blessing and we seek happiness, and whatever we think we can do to make ourselves happy to get that blessing is we will do it in order to achieve it. We are seeking to be happy, but the paradox of the beatitudes is: that it is seeking righteousness that brings blessedness; it's seeking righteousness that brings happiness. Blessed and ha- blessing and happiness is not the goal of life. It is the result of a life lived in Christ. That's a big distinction and important one for us to understand as we walk through the Beatitudes. Now, we think about this statement in Matthew 5, 6. The question is, what do you hunger for? What do you hunger for today? What do you thirst for in your life? There's three truths that I think we need to consider when we think about this passage. Three truths. One, the first one is is really foundational. It's foundational to what we see in Matthew 5, 6, and here it is, is that Jesus satisfies our soul's longing. Jesus satisfies our soul's longing. Do you remember another passage in the New Testament where Jesus talks about hungering and thirsting? Do you recall another passage in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John? John chapter 4, John chapter 6, John chapter 7, Jesus talks about hunger and thirst. He talks about him being the bread of life. Well, in John chapter 4, it's a, it's a passage where Jesus encounters the woman at the well. And he has this extended dialogue with the woman at the well about drawing water. And in verse 13, she, she's come, she's at the well, she's drawing water. And, and he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And when I sit down and read Matthew 5, 6, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. To me, the first thing I thought about was what is the relation between those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and those who Jesus looks at and says, if you drink righteousness, For me, if you drink the water that I give you, you will never be thirsty again. So on one hand, we have this calling that God's people are are constantly hungering and thirsting for righteousness. On the other hand, we have him talking to the woman at the well, and then later to the scribes and Pharisees saying that I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger again. And and I am am one who, if you drink of my water, you will never be thirsty again. Here, here's the reality. The reason that Jesus satisfies our souls long is he is talking about our soul here. He's talking about our soul's thirst for salvation, the desire for eternal life. People have a longing for eternal life. You have a longing for eternal life. If you want an example of this, the fact that an unbeliever has a longing for eternal life, then look no further than Amazon's CEO or founder, I don't think he's CEO anymore, but Jeff Bezos. Have you heard of his latest financial endeavor? He's investing millions and millions of dollars in a company that the whole goal, the whole focus of this company is to do research on how to reproduce genes that will stop aging and thus give what? Eternal life. Millions and millions of dollars he is investing, and a few other wealthy investors paying scientists over a million dollars to study how to stop aging so that we can live eternally. We can just live without aging. Listen, the, the good news is not that he is investing millions and millions of dollars in trying to find out how to live eternally. The good news is that Jesus Christ has already done it, he's already died and made it possible for us to have eternal life through faith in Christ. That's the good news. In John six thirty five, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's talking about our soul's deep hunger and thirst for eternal life. That's why the psalmist says in 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's why we taste and see the Lord is good because he is the source of eternal life. He satisfies the longing of our souls. So in John 4 and John 6, the emphasis is less on our hunger and thirst and more on Jesus as the source of eternal life and our soul's satisfaction. One scholar said this. He said, Christ's words do not contradict the fact that believers to the very end of their lives ardently desire more abundant grace. For he does not mean that we drink so that we are fully satisfied from the very first day, but only that the Holy Spirit is a constantly flowing well. So there is no danger, I love this, there is no danger of those who are renewed by spiritual grace of becoming dry. Why? Because we drink from the ever-flowing well of Christ's amazing grace. That's why. When a person comes to faith in Christ, his soul is satisfied in Christ, by Christ, because his soul, and we are given Christ's righteousness. It is imputed to us, it is credited to us, so that God justifies us, he declares us righteous before him. That's the truth of 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Christ's righteousness given to us. Listen, the first thing we have to say today is that Jesus satisfies our soul's longing and our soul's thirst for eternal life. It is that foundation that supports the reality that the believer then thirsts and hungers for righteousness. You, you need to know today, if you're here or you're listening online and you have never trusted Christ, you can continue to long for the things you long for. You can continue to try to satisfy the longings of your soul with whatever it may be, with success or with popularity or with, uh, with, with achievements, with experiences, with knowledge. But none of those things are going to satisfy. None of them are going to satisfy. You're going to continually, perpetually be hungry. Your soul is going to hunger and thirst Man's definition of rightness, of righteousness, is not going to satisfy. Christ satisfies. Christ satisfies. If you would drink deep of the well of eternal life offered through faith in Christ, your soul would never hunger and never thirst again. So the offer of Scripture is first that you would turn from sin and trust Christ, that you would respond to Christ in faith, that your soul would be Ultimately, fully satisfied in Him. In Him. And so the first thing today is that if you're an unbeliever, I would call you and ask you and plead with you and encourage you, beg you to turn to Christ in faith today. Look to Him in faith. Find your soul's satisfaction in Jesus Christ today. The second truth we need to consider flows right out of that. If that's the foundation, if Jesus satisfies our soul's longing and grants us eternal life, then the second thing is as a product or an outworking of that, the Christian will have a longing for righteousness. The Christian will have a desire and a longing for righteousness. John Stott said spiritual hunger is a characteristic of all God's people. It's a characteristic of all God's people. The, the question that then pops into my mind, does this contradict what Jesus says in, in John to the woman at the well or later in John 6? No. Jesus is speaking of eternal life, of, of salvation. We're saved, we're justified, we're given eternal life in him. The, the believer's soul is satisfied in Christ. But here's, here's the deal. Here's what's important. is Although it's satisfied in Christ, the taste of imputed righteousness is so rich and blessed that he hungers and he thirsts for more. That the believer has been so satisfied in Christ and so tasted that the Lord is good that he or she longs for more. That we hunger and thirst for the righteousness that we have been given by God and we long to live for God. The Christian who has been saved by God will long for God. How could he not? How could he not? If I've been saved, how can I not have a longing for righteousness? This is an important question. We have to consider this today. If we are believers, if we're following Christ, there should be a longing for him for righteousness in our life. See, one of the great tragedies of the church is that we would buy into this idea that we can take the forgiveness and grace that God offers and never have any regard for his call to live a holy life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this cheap grace. And the reality is that that type of cheap grace, the idea that, you know what, you can just get saved, right? You can get saved and and you can have the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and yet not live for God, show no evidence of salvation. That cheap grace is not evidence of saving faith. Ask James. Look at James 2, 14 to 26 when you go home. Look at the whole of the New Testament. Give me any compelling case from the whole of the New Testament that we would see any picture of one who would say, hey, I'm a Christian, but he does not live following Christ. He has no desire to hunger and seek after righteousness. So here's a litmus test. You want a litmus test of your salvation today? Ask yourself a simple question. Do I have a longing for righteousness? Ask yourself that. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Righteousness. I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm not asking if you've been to church more times than you've missed in the past year. I'm not asking how many verses you can memorize. I'm not asking how many times you went to Sunday school. I'm not asking if you've been on a mission trip. I'm not asking you to define any deep theological words. I'm asking you a very simple question. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you have a longing for God's will in your life? We have to be honest about this. We can't lie to ourselves about this. We have to be honest about this. And look, do I hunger and do I thirst for righteousness? Listen, you need to understand that what you hunger for and what you thirst for is indicative of what or who you worship you hear that what I hunger for what I thirst for what I long for what consumes me what I want and desire and just have to have that is indicative of what I worship do I long for God do I thirst for God do I hunger for God do I thirst for righteousness do I hunger for righteousness I need to be honest about that. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.22, he appeals, he's writing to Timothy and he says, flee youthful passions. And guess what? Flee youthful passions and do what? Just sit there? Just look nice? Just be religious? Just say, I checked the box? No, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with Those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What does it look like to call on the Lord with a pure heart? It means that you flee youthful passions and you pursue righteousness. You hunger, you thirst after righteousness. You want to live as God has called you to live. You have a desire for personal holiness. He says, flee youthful passions. We live in a society, we live in a day that's promoting and pushing you towards youthful passions. That the goal of many people's life is to get back to a time where they can live like a teenager again. No responsibilities. Sitting around, doing nothing, playing video games, walking down the beach. That's my sole goal in life, is to get rid of all my responsibility. So I'd be comfortable and have an easy life. That I could just feed my own passions, my own desires of things of the flesh, things of the world. But Paul says, flee those youthful passions. Put those behind you and pursue righteousness. What does that look like? What does it look like to pursue righteousness? What does it look like to hunger and to thirst for it, to long for it, to desire to follow after it? In Matthew 5, 3, and in Psalm 47, it means being astonished that the Lord would take thought of me because I'm poor and needy and impoverished in spirit. You remember what it, means in Matthew 5.4, if I'm hungry and thirsty after righteousness, in Matthew 5.4 and Romans 7.24 7, and 25, it means that we mourn over sin in our lives. We look and it, it brings grief to us and we see the sin in our lives. In Matthew 5.5, 5, pursuing righteousness means being gentle to those around us, being meek before our God. In Romans 1.17, pursuing righteousness means... We live by faith. In Colossians 3, 5 and Romans 8, 13, pursuing righteousness means we put to death what is earthly in us. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. all of these idolatrous things, we put them to death by the Spirit, Paul says in Romans eight thirteen. In Luke 10, 25 to 37, it means loving your neighbor and showing mercy to him. In Psalm 37, 4, it means delighting yourself in the Lord above all else. And trusting him to give you the desires of your heart. In Galatians five, sixteen, it means walking by the Spirit and not gratifying the death or the desires of the flesh. In first Timothy four, seven through eight, it means training yourself for godliness. Why? Because we know that godliness has value in every way. Every way, Paul says. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it means being persecuted. Why? Because Paul writes, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. In Proverbs 18.10, pursuing righteousness means running to the Lord who is a strong tower instead of turning to the ways of the world and turning to the things of the world that would appease us and satisfy us temporarily. In Hebrews 13.4, it means keeping the marriage bed undefiled. In 1 John 2.15, it means not loving the things of the world. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it means working out your salvation in fear and trembling because you know that God is working in you to do that work. In Matthew 25, 31 to 40, pursuing righteousness means clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, welcoming a stranger, and visiting the prisoner. In Matthew 6, 33, pursuing righteousness means seeking after the kingdom of God above all else. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it means doing all for the glory of God. Whether you're working, whether you're studying, whether you're playing a ball game, whether you're hanging with friends, whether you're walking through your neighborhood, whether you're loving your wife, loving your husband, providing for your kids, whatever you're doing, you're doing it all for the glory of God to exalt His name and manifest His greatness to others around you. That is what it means. That's a brief glimpse of what it means to pursue righteousness and to hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is the life of the believer. The child of God will have a desire and a longing to live for God. The third truth from this passage is that ultimate and final satisfaction awaits the Christian in glory. Ultimate and final satisfaction awaits the Christian in glory. You see, there's a future hope in 5, 6. Look what it says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What? For they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. There is certainty there. The, the word satisfied, it, it comes from a word that was used to describe the fattening of animals. That's what that word was used for. It, is, it could be, say, being stuffed or they were well filled. That's what it means to be satisfied here. And, and the word is written in what's called a divine passive. And what that means is, is that the form indicates that it is not us who does the satisfying. It's God. God satisfies. We don't satisfy ourselves. It's God who's doing the action. He is the one who satisfies. We do not achieve righteous perfection. We do not achieve this righteousness that leads to satisfaction. No, God does it. The scholar theologian Leon Morris says it is a given righteousness, not an achieved righteousness. Is a righteousness that God gives us, a satisfaction that God gives us and grants us on that final day. That we look ahead, we long for righteousness, we hunger for it, we thirst for it, we want to pursue it. We have a desire to live, as Peter said, to live a holy life because our God is holy. We have that longing, that hunger, that thirst, and oh, what a day. Oh, what a day that will be at the end when we are absolutely satisfied in Christ we stand before God in heaven, justified by faith in Christ and glorified by His power and His grace to stand before Him in perfect righteousness. What a day that'll be! Romans eight seventeen talks about Paul says, "If children, that we are heirs; if we're children of God, we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him." You're probably familiar with Romans 8.30. Those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He what? He glorified. There is certainty in the life of the believer that we look forward to the day that we will be glorified, that we will stand with God in heaven. Glorified. Free of the presence, penalty, and power of sin. Here's the thing. Is the hope of that day When we look forward to the day that we are ultimately satisfied in Christ, the hope of that day should inform the way we live on this day. We can't miss that. 2 Peter 3, 11-13. Peter says, he's speaking of the coming day of the Lord. He's directing the the people's gaze to the return of Christ when we're with Christ in glory. And he says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you hear what Peter said? He said, listen, since this is happening, the day of the Lord is coming. We know God will return. We will be glorified. He says, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness? That should be who we are. We should be living for him. We should be pursuing holiness in our lives. Waiting for, hastening the coming of the Lord. We long for that day. But as we long for that day, we let it inform how we live this day. That we live for the glory of God and we pursue righteousness. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness. We're not hungering and thirsting for salvation. That hunger has been satisfied already. I'm not walking through life going, oh, I just want to be saved. I just want to be saved. I just hope I can be saved. No, that's been satisfied in Christ. I've drunk deep of that well and I hope you have too but I do have this hunger and thirst for righteousness because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and I have a longing to live for Him. Do you have that longing? Do you want righteousness? Do you hunger for righteousness? Do you long for holiness? Or are you just walking through life? The believer will hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is a closing question. Briefly. How do we cultivate this? How do we cultivate a hunger and thirst for righteousness as believers? We'll probably talk about this more in a follow-up sermon video this week. But I just want to put that before you. How do you cultivate a hunger and thirst for righteousness? You realize this is probably kind of strange that I know this, but there's markers in my life that allow me to know this. The first 28 years of my life, Never once did I say, I would love a cup of coffee. Never. 28 years. I never thirsted for coffee. Never. But 16 years ago, I acquired a hunger, or not a hunger, but a thirst for coffee. And now, I enjoy coffee. The first thing I do when I wake up is I want to have that hot, bitter taste in my mouth. (laughs) Love it. Why? Why? you know why i started drinking it. i started drinking i developed this thirst for coffee what do you do to cultivate a thirst for god what do you do to cultivate a longing a hunger for god let me give you three things this isn't all conclusive but here's three ways three things i think we have to remember if we want to cultivate a deeper hunger and a deeper thirst for righteousness the first thing is we depend on god we depend on God. We pray, God, would you please give me a longing for personal holiness? Would you give me a desire, a hunger, a thirst for righteousness? See, we have to understand that a hunger and thirst for righteousness is foundationally a work of God in the life of a believer. Yes, we can cultivate it. Yes, we are called to pursue it. But we do so in full dependence on Christ, full dependence on Christ. So the first thing is seek God, depend on Him, pray, pray to Him, ask Him to do it, ask Him to give you this longing, this hunger and thirst for righteousness. The second thing is this, is kill sin. Kill sin. Romans 8:13, Colossians 3:5, two important verses to talk about us putting to death the sin that dwells in us. If we do not do this, sin will wreak havoc in our lives, and it will send us down the wrong path following after it. We need to put sin to death. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death what is earthly in you. And we do that depending on God, seeking God for strength. Romans 8, 13, uh, Paul says to do so by the Spirit. By the Spirit. John Owen, in his book, The Mortification of Sin, says, The mortification of sin from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention to the end of a self-righteousness is the soul and substance of false religion in the world. We don't just kill sin by our own strength. We depend on God, we look to God, and we kill sin. We get rid of it. We end it. We look honestly and go, this is what I struggle with. God, I'm going to seek you in that area. And I'm going to do whatever it takes by your strength and by your grace to put that to death. To get it out of my life. The third thing, third way to cultivate a deeper hunger and thirst for righteousness is to apply yourselves to what's known as the ordinary means of grace. Just apply yourself to the means of grace. Listen, God has not left you without means To grow in Him. He's not left His people up to our own devices where we go, Well, goodness gracious, how in the world do I learn to pursue righteousness? How do I live for Him? I just wish I knew. He hasn't done that. He has given us His Word. That we could study it, that we could read it, that we could meditate on it, that we could memorize it, that we could hear it preached, that we could hear it taught. He's given us His Word. He's given us prayer That we can come before Him, we can listen to Him, we can praise Him, we can adore Him, we can confess our sins to Him, we can thank Him. We can pray for the needs of others and needs in our own lives. He's given us the privilege that we can boldly come before His throne in prayer. What a blessing that is. He's given us ordinances like baptism, the Lord's Supper. That we come and, and we reflect on what Christ has done, the sacrifice that He has made on our behalf that we come and and we can look at what Christ has done in the life of another person and we can celebrate with her. We can clap and we can praise God for what He's done, not because of what a good kid she is or how great she is, but how great God is and how good He is to save her. We're reminded of that this morning and we rejoice in that. and We're thankful for it. God's given us means To cultivate a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to see more of that. Don't you? I want to see more people following Christ. I want to see more people turning from their life of sin to Christ and faith. I want to tell more people about that. Don't you? I want to learn more about who God is. I want to learn more about how awesome and holy and mighty and powerful he is, how wise he is, how good he is, how kind he is. I want to learn more of his justice. We live in a day where people want justice and they're crying justice. And we just read a few minutes ago that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. I want to know more about that. He's given us means to know more about that in the word to pursue him, to cultivate a hunger and thirst for righteousness. So let's do it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. Let's pray.